Welcome back to the Nationally Syndicated Price of Business. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business, what's going on in the political front, really is all of our business, and really how we learn about what's happening in the, in the political front is our business, too. And uh, that's why this program spends a whole lot of time uh, looking at the quality of media and uh, not uh, merely what they're conveying, but how they convey it and what's behind the way they present things. And uh, you don't have to be overly conspiratorial to, to ask these kind of questions because, frankly, most of their bias is so transparent, it's not even funny. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I think uh, a person who is so hard to believe is, had been president, like Donald Trump, became president. He was a, a direct rebellion, if you will. His election was a direct rebellion against the paradigm of uh, news presentation that had evolved in this country. And um, one, of my people, one of my favorite people to talk to about what's happening in the media front, my favorite media critic, if you will, is also the opinion editor for a, a legacy uh, publication like Newsweek. It's kind of ironic, isn't it, Bob? Yeah, Unger Sargon. <laughs> I confess I never thought of the irony there, but you're right. <laughs> <laughs> All the irony. That is, you're like literally biting the hand that feeds you. <laughs> wow, don't say that too loudly. My boss might hear. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, frankly, it just, it just struck me while I was introducing you. Hey, that's pretty crazy when you get down to it. But you are. You're, you're one of the most articulate, forceful critics of the media out there which is why we keep asking you back. And, you know, we were going to talk a little bit about Hunter. I'm sure we'll cover that. But let's talk a little bit about this dichotomy of what's happening in the media and how the media is in this place. So I'd love to ask your opinion uh, because, I mean, you know, I really hope that the, the Republicans for their own good get off of the Trump uh, bandwagon because it's going to be hard for him to serve if he ends up in prison, which – these latest charges, and I read, I read these, in, these indictments because I'm a boring kind of guy. I read these indictments, I, and, and this one in particular, this most recent one, and the last one that he got, uh, those, those two are going to be hard to, uh, to maneuver. Um, you know, and so for the party's interest, I would think it would be best for them to move on. But the fact they're holding on so tightly is a testimony in and of itself of how disgusted the American people are with the media, don't you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the way that they've treated the sort of the, the two stories, the Trump's indictment story versus like the Biden crime family story, um, it's just, you know, you, if you watch Fox News and you watch CNN and MSNBC, it's like mirror images of each other, you know, like one side will only cover one and the other side will only cover the other. Um, you know, people think that, uh, the reason the media is so, you know, on the side of the Democrats is because of politics, because all the journalists are liberals and all the people who own those companies and those media outlets are, are liberals and Democrats. But the truth is a little bit more mundane, but also kind of harder to fix, which is that it's not really about politics. It's, you know, as we talk about all the time on the show, it's really about class. Um, journalists are part of the same elites that, you know, the Bidens are from and the owners of tech companies are from, and Democratic politicians are from. Everybody has a college degree. Everybody goes to college together. All their kids go to expensive preschools and, 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 and grade schools together, and they live in the same neighborhoods. And so when they look at the Bidens, they're like, oh, those look like the, my neighbors. Like, those are the people I went to school with. Like, 
those are people who are like in my class. You know, if somebody from my class, you know, ends up in a bad situation, <coughs> excuse me, that's something that they feel like they could very easily picture happening to themselves. And so they're just for purely class reasons more apt to see that in a favorable light and more apt to come up with excuses for it. Whereas they yeah. look at Donald Trump and he looks to them like, you know, he is basically their biggest nightmare of what a working class person's fantasy of being a rich person is, right? Like he's sort of, <laughs> he's a class trader, right? Like he's given up all of the pretensions of, you know, eating in French restaurants and, you know, having like classy understated stealth wealth. And instead he eats, you know, overcooked McDonald's hamburgers with ketchup and has a golden toilet, you know? And, and so they look at him and he looks to them like the thing they most fear, which is the working class, like the rise of the everyman. Like they have so much contempt for the everyman. It's true that Trump is a billionaire, maybe probably a millionaire is more accurate, but you know, he has managed to aesthetically mimic the ways of the working class that have been just like totally reviled by the elites of both sides. So they look at Trump as like, you know, it's so funny. The New York times had an article today about people sitting in prison for crimes that they don't even remember having committed, but like serious crimes, you know, rape, murder, whatever. And they're basically advocating that these people should be let out of prison because they have dementia, you know, and it just reminded me of that, that Russian saying, you know, for my friend, for my friend's mercy, for my enemies, the law, right? Like there's no rapist that like the Democrats don't think deserves another second chance. But if you're Donald Trump and you sincerely believe that you won the election and you were trying to fight for that, you should go to prison, right? You should, there should be no prisons except for Republicans, right? Like that, that's kind of like the way that like the Democrats see things now. Um, and it's just, it's kind of like depressing because I mean, how do you get past that? And, um, you know, the class solidarity thing, it's so deep. Like it would be one thing if it was just politics, but because it's not political, it's not about values. They are really blind to it, and it, it makes it really hard to imagine how we get past this. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I think, you know, what I'd like to see is bipartisan disdain for the bad behaviors of, of leaders in both parties. What, right. I, what I see is justification for the behavior of our bad guy based on the bad behavior of your bad guy. That's what both sides do all the time around the clock, which is why, you know, politicians rank lower than, you know, used car salesmen and attorneys. <laughs> um, you know, that, it's like these are a – this is a disgusting institution, and it's bipartisan disgusting. I hear this, this dismantling of, of terrible Donald Trump, and then, uh, and then I see the, uh, you know, Republican-based um, media like Fox News do a dismantling of the Biden family, and it's like they're both disgusting. Can we talk about how third-world-ish both are? And it, I, I find it really troubling. I don't think America is going to buy into politicians and, and, and terms like credibility and politicians begin to become common. Maybe never, but certainly won't until both sides hold both sides accountable. Yeah, and it's very hard to imagine that happening, right? I mean, in some ways, like, you know, I used to joke about this, like, when, when I was writing about anti-Semitism, I would say, you know, 
people complain that like the left only calls out anti-Semitism on the right and the right only calls out anti-Semitism on the left. And people think that's a problem. And I was like, but you know, a hundred percent of instances of anti-Semitism are getting called out and denounced. So who is it, does it really matter? Like where it's coming from, you know? Um, and, and so in a way it's sort of like, you know, I was very skeptical of the, the Republicans going, you know, full hog in this Hunter Biden investigation, but look what they've uncovered. I mean, it's really bad stuff. You know, at the same time, I do feel like it's a little bit missing the forest for the trees, like the Republican base is now the working class. And, you know, yeah, they're grossed out by the by the Bidens. But like at the end of the day, like that's not going to get the Republicans into office like, oh, we prosecuted the case again. It's, it's the same thing the Democrats do to Trump. Right. They're scared that they can't beat him at the ballot box because they don't have good ideas. And so they're trying to send him to jail. I mean, that's kind of like the long and the short of it. Right. Like that's sort of what's happening here. And I feel like in a way the Republicans are doing the same thing instead of coming up with a plan for the American dream to revive the American dream for middle America, to revive the American middle class, to help the working class. They're sitting here being like, well, we prosecuted the case against, you know, the son's like crackhead fail son. And that that's just not going to cut it for me. And I, I so I really just feel like it's I, I, it is really just people going after their own adversaries, their political adversaries, the people who stand in the way of them getting even richer and richer, a la Nancy Pelosi. And, it, you know, when really like they they were sent to Washington to, to fulfill the desires of the American people which is very easy to do because there's like a lot of consensus. So, you know, for example, one thing I found writing my book is, you know, there's a huge consensus in the working class that there should be like a total moratorium on immigration for the foreseeable future and some sort of public health care option that's affordable and high quality. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like the yeah. Republicans have half of that. And the Democrats have half of that, but the Democrats will never stop being the open borders party ever again. And the Republicans will never say the word health care. So you end up in a situation where, like, they have to pick between their jobs and their health when really neither party is going to get any of those things done because they won't they won't participate with the other hat with the other side. And that is extremely, extremely frustrating to people. And it's why they're checked out of politics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Might, might as well. Uh, you know, another great example, and, and we could go back on, we could do hours on areas that both sides, uh, average voters, agree on, on both sides, that should be easy for either side to do, right? And, and exactly. a, a great example, here's one that is so bipartisan, blatantly bipartisan, which is family leave. And you have family leave where we heard forever how we're, you know, we're one of the worst advanced countries in the world because we don't have family leave for, uh, you know, mothers or, or fathers uh, that it's automatically built in uh, to, you know, to, that that happens automatically once they have a child or they have a family member uh, who has long-term care needs and a transition that needs to be made. Marco Rubio, of course, a Republican, Marco Rubio comes up with a plan, and there are several others like this. Interestingly, all of them championed by Republicans where they say, hey, why don't we just simply, and then they introduce legislation. Why don't we simply uh, set up a bill where people, set up where people delay receiving Social Security by six months and uh, ha let them be able to use that money for long-term care. Uh, and and it, it'd be just like it is in Europe in terms of length of time, completely paid for by the user. It will be revenue neutral. Golly, that is like genius. But the Democrats are offended by the idea. I, I make up. They haven't said this, of course. Uh, but I make up the Democrats are offended by the idea that uh, individuals should be responsible for it and have to pay for it. 
but this solves the problem in a fiscally responsible way, in an ownership sort of way. And I can go back and what Republicans don't do well. Is, you know, you know how it goes. We got a wealth of those. <laughs> wealth of information on how both sides screwed up. But to me, it's like, this is such a no-brainer. And they're so socialistic, if you will, so progressive, if you will, they can't stand the idea of people owning their their, uh, family leave. Yeah, I think that's so totally true. I mean, the more no-brainer something is, the less likely it is to get done in Washington because (laughs) there's just like so... If you can't, if they can't blame the other side, they're not interested in doing it. Like, they're literally not interested in talking about it. If they can't, you know, if, they, if they're not trolling the other side, and it's just disgusting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so this, I, I'm curious to see what you see in unfolding on the Trump cases. I mean, uh, as long as there was on a federal level, there was a chance that he could, uh, you know, uh, walk away. And it's going to be interesting if he ends up, you know, because of a pardon, I don't think I don't think Biden or whoever gets elected president wants a former president in prison. That's a little third world if you look at it. Um, but these states are the, the ones from Georgia are unbelievable. I mean, they're just shocking. Um, I, I, I mean, what, what does your gut tell you about the charges? You know, and then you think about how's this for an interesting side story, especially if you're in another country reporting on us that uh, Trump has Secret Service detail for life. How does that work in prison? <laughs> I mean, I sit there and look at it, and it's like, this is really crazy stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, what they want you to believe that Trump is some sort of mob boss. Like, it's just, like, so, it's just so insulting to the American people. Um, but, yeah, the, the, uh, the president, my understanding is the president can't um, pardon him on these RICO charges because they're state charges. So. Right. I mean, I mean, it's really, it's going to be very interesting to see. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see. I, I try not to predict or prognosticate because I'm always wrong when I do. Um, it's just very disappointing that, like, nobody stopped to think, like, you know, this is this in the best interest of the country, which it clearly is not. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I for once, I don't know. I, I, yeah, we can get in, in, into that. It might be one of the rare areas you and I disagree because I want a warning shot shot over the bow of any politician who will take approaches that I think uh, Trump has taken. Um, and I, I'd like to see that happen. I, I think that uh, has it been exaggerated? Have they gone over the top? Yeah, but there's also plenty there that makes me go, yeah, this is this is very uh, – I, I, no other word comes to mind. And, you know, I'm pretty good with words. But, yeah. <laughs> no other words come to mind other than criminal. And so uh, – I, I, you know, what, what happens, it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, you know, game theory in economics, right? Yeah, where people play the system and they have to work and they make decisions based on what's happening. Based on game theory, you've got 18 other or 17 other defendants in the Georgia case, all of them looking at a minimum of five years of convicted, you know, and so they have a lot of, a lot of incentive to be in, in, uh, helpful in this case. And we both know who they want, right? Right. Who do they really yeah. want? Yeah, I mean, who do they really want? <laughs> they want Trump. They want Trump done. They really yeah. do. They want Trump yeah. done. So I don't know. I mean, obviously, I don't see him going to prison. In my opinion, I don't see that happening. You know, uh, they'll probably put him on in some type of house arrest, really serious house arrest. Good luck restraining him on on phone behavior, internet. <laughs> 
But but that's what I think they're looking at. But these are weird times. Who would have thought? I've been doing radio for 20-plus years, Bob. Yeah? And so I'm like going, you know, I, I never envisioned doing these kind of interviews about these kind of topics. So, okay. Well, that was fun. We beat up uh, both sides. We had fun with that. I, I, I like that. <laughs> um, so I'll talk a little bit as we wrap it up, some final thoughts, some, some takeaways of what you'd like to listen to think about. And I can't believe I failed to do this. My favorite book, frankly, on media criticism uh, and, and how to critique in a, in a very important filter on uh, people to use in looking at media stories is your book. I talk about your book all the time. I talk about your book between our interviews. Um, I love your book. I want you to talk about it as well as we wrap it up. Oh, thank you so much, Kevin. You're so kind. My book is called Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy, and it's about everything we talked about here, why the media got so woke, why it got so left, and I argue that it's not really about politics. It's about the class divide in America, which explains so much of what's going on these days. Um, Anyway, thank you so much for having me, Kevin. It's always such a pleasure to join you, and I'm so grateful to you for your interest in my work. Well, and I apologize for going a little long. I, I, I get always tempted to do that. I try to restrain myself because I know how busy <laughs> you are. Thanks so much, as always, by Younger Sargash. She's with, at Newsweek, newsweek.com. Her book, Must Reading, for anyone who's really serious about what's going on in the media. I'm Kevin Price, and this is The Price of Business.